Good morning, everyone. Friends, uh, we begin our season of Advent, and Advent marks the new liturgical year for us. So this is New Year for us. So Happy New Year. On New Year's Day, you'll hear me reference it again, but that's the calendar year uh, of 2023. So we're in our new beginning, and uh, as we do, we enter into the year of Matthew. So we'll be hearing primarily from Matthew's gospel, and uh, uh, we're in cycle one, meaning the readings will come from, we have two cycles, one and two. Uh, between uh, the Gospels, A, B, and C, this one's known as A for Matthew. And over that cycle of three years, we go through pretty much all of the New Testament. And my friends, uh, during this Advent season, uh, we will hear from Isaiah. And Isaiah spoke to the people of his time, and in his time, the people suffered greatly. On all levels, there was political nonsense, there was strife of every kind, there was hunger going on, there was disease. Sound familiar? And he spoke to them, and one of his primary tasks that God had given Isaiah was to speak about the Messiah. The Messiah was coming, and he was instilling hope in their hearts about this. No matter what's going on now, and we recognize that, let us look to the future, for God has things planned for us. And uh, we hear from the second reading, St. Paul is speaking to the Romans, and he's telling him, wake up from your slumber. I mean, stop being lazy. Put all your foolishness aside. Stop doing things that are just silly. And start preparing for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that second coming, that is in his state of glory and majesty, something completely different. And uh, even though Paul and his community in his time, they had the timing off, uh, they thought the second coming of Jesus was very imminent, meaning it was going to happen next week. In time, they realized that wasn't happening. But that does not negate things that Paul said. It still had relevance in his time and has relevance in our time. And so, my friends, uh, uh, in this season of Advent, you won't hear the Gloria. Uh, Advent has uh, many uh, likenesses to Lent, uh, the color. Uh, Advent's more blue-purple. Uh, Lent is more red-purple. Uh, blue-purple is more of the sign of hope. Uh, so one of the themes of Advent is hope, but there's themes of light and of joy and of peace. This is what Isaiah, in our reading today, was talking about. He said we're gonna, all those instruments of war will be changed into instruments of harvesting. So his idea was not just peace for the tribes of Israel, but peace for the whole world. And your pastor was breathing that in. Oh, this, I need to breathe in peace. And that's what Isaiah was talking about, a peace that will envelop the whole world. Not just this little area, not just that area. The whole world, we need that. And so that's what I was doing, breathing in peace. Come on, Isaiah, a little more peace, a little bit more. My friends, uh, in this season then, this new year, we begin with hope. During the Advent season, we should work to increase hope, not in our own hearts. And as your pastor, I'll be working on that during Advent for you, because the world needs that. But we can't give that hope if we do not have it, meaning to others. Heaven forbid there should be a Roman Catholic Christian that has hope and joy in their heart. Right? (laughs) Yes, from heaven there should be this. People will run away from you if you look like you're coming from a funeral. 
Who's going to want that? Who's going to want to come to that? Who's going to want to hear about Jesus Christ that that's how you approach them? No, joy and hope and peace. We have this. Isaiah said, because the Messiah is coming. And then in Paul's time, and that the Messiah had arrived. And my friends, St. Paul tells us, hope is not hope when, it is, when it is object is seen. We hope for what is not seen. Romans 8, 24. And my friends, this foundation of hope is not blind. It is not without its foundation, like some kind of daydream or some kind of dream that we only think about. Better said that hope looks to the future with an eye on our past. And this is part of what Advent does. Advent uh, prepares us for Christmas, wrapping paper and shopping. No, Christmas. Christmas. Christmas for us is about the birth and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You can have all those other things. You can have the tree and you can have the gifts and you have all that stuff. But Christmas, first and foremost, is about the incarnation of Christ, the coming of the Messiah that Isaiah talked about. So then our hope is in this. Our hope for what the Lord will do for us is based not only on what he will do for us, it is based on what he has already done for us. Meaning, in salvation history, what has God done? And the message that comes from the Old Testament and for us, New Testament, what God has done is what God will do. <laughs> now, Father Mark sounds more like John, like John's gospel. John's gospel is, he does circles. And that's kind of what I'm doing here for you. But God is consistent in what he does. He is ever faithful. And perhaps one of the only surprises will be not that the Lord has abandoned us and left us alone to deal with ourselves, but that God will surpass everything that he has done in the past. The future will be so much more, and I'm going to get to that. All this being said, the first Sunday of Advent uh, is a wake-up call for Christ's coming and beckons us to wait in fear, to wait in anxiety, no, to wait with hope and joy in our hearts at the coming of our Savior in his second coming. Do you guys understand when the church says the second coming, do you know what we're talking about? Do you know what we're talking about? I guarantee you the Protestants do. <laughs> do you know what I'm referring to? Jesus is coming back. How is he coming back? The scripture says the way he left. Remember when he ascends? He ascended in his glorified state. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember? Did you guys get some coffee today? <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to go there because I did this last night and I know people left thinking, oh gosh, Father Mark must have had way too much liturgical wine. <laughs> Jesus' glorified state is not like the body he arrived in. Do you remember? Mary Magdala, she's at the graveside. Jesus is talking to her. She doesn't recognize his, him anymore. Something's different about his glorified body. What is different about it? Well, remember he had a barbecue on the beach? Remember that? He was crucified. He died. He's eating. And then after that, he walks right through the walls. I'm looking forward to the day when the glorified state happens. And Father Mark, he's going to walk right through that wall. If I do it now, I will knock myself out. 
you will have to take me to the hospital, and then I will be held for a 72-hour psych evaluation. But there is something different about the glorified state. Jesus is able to walk through solid things. He's able to eat. Did he have to eat? No. He ate because they thought he was a ghost, and ghosts don't eat. And ghosts don't have resurrected bodies. It's completely different. Do Roman Catholics believe in the resurrection of the body? You had better say yes, because we say it in the creed all the time. Here's the issue. You don't hear Roman Catholic priests talking about it. What you hear us talk about, and I do it, and we should, we talk about hell. And there is such a thing, but people don't believe in it. And I thought, well, if they don't believe in hell, they don't believe in the resurrected body either. So all these things I'm telling you is based on Jesus Christ. He was in his glorified state. He was able to eat and at the same time walk through solid things. Remember, the doors are locked and he walked right through. And then he played what I call peekaboo. He was here and then he was there. I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait. I'm excited. The first thing I thought of, because Father Mark is kind of, uh, uh, I can eat all the cake I want and not get clogged arteries. <laughs> and I thought, wait, do I have any arteries? <laughs> wait, do I even need to eat? What? These things I think about, and while they sound crazy and fanciful, is because I believe in it. So I'm not asking if it will happen. I'm wondering how God does it. Of course, I'll never figure that out until I get there. And the other thing, when we die the first time, when we go to heaven, we do not become angels. I'm sorry, children, that's Hollywood. We, angels are different. God created them differently. We go to heaven as people. We have souls. Angels are angelic in their spirit. They don't eat. But these are all scripture-based, and these are things that we need to talk about more. Why? Because if I only talk to you about hell and tell you if you don't do A, B, and C, you're going to hell, it hasn't been working already because you're not doing A, B, and C. <laughs> so I'm going to put it in the positive. If you do A, B, and C, you're going to have the glorified state because Jesus said he will share that with you, and you'll be able to do all those things I just talked about. That sounds crazy. Another way of putting it, I put it at the 830. If I had the $40 million lottery ticket in my hand, and I told you, if you do A, B, and C, I'll give you that ticket. I already know you're going to do it. Father Mark said, if I do A, B, and C, he'll give me that $40 million. Well, you have something greater than $40 million. You have the eternal kingdom and the eternal life and the glorified state. So will you do A, B, and C so you can have that? And Jesus made A, B, and C not unreasonable, but reasonable. How do you do that? Love God and love each other. Do you agree that this is reasonable? It's reasonable. This is all real, and we don't talk about it enough. When I ask somebody, when you die, what happens? I get wings and go to heaven. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't get wings. You don't need wings. Silly. Then I tell them what I believe. Oh, that's silly, Father. It's in the Scripture. Jesus was in this glorified state, and if we we're going to be like him, then we're going to be like him something to be hopeful about, something to look forward to. We don't go there before our time, though, right? So we are filled with joy at the coming of that great day. When Jesus will return, he will right all the wrongs. Amen, hallelujah, I am looking for that day. When he will establish his kingdom of peace and love and hope and justice for all time. According to God's promise, we await a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That is not a quote of Father Mark. That is a quote of 
Peter, one of the closest companions of Jesus of Nazareth. You'll find it in 2 Peter chapter 3. And as we look forward then to the second coming of Jesus, now you know what that means. He'll be coming in his majesty and splendor and his glory. We must first look back to the beginning, his incarnation in Bethlehem, because that is where the promise made to Isaiah was fulfilled. We acknowledge that in times past, God spoke in partial and various ways to our ancestors, but through the prophets, spoke differently. And in these last days, he spoke to us through his son. That is not a quote of Father Mark. That is a quote of St. Paul. Hebrews chapter 1, line 1. My friends, in the fourth Eucharistic prayer, the prayer that the priest prays at the altar, the fourth one, the prayer acknowledges that time and again the Lord offered covenants and through his prophets taught us to look forward, a.k.a. with hope, to salvation. The hope proclaimed by the prophets of the Old Testament was based on God's actions by which he had, by which he had freed his people, the Israelites, from slavery and impoverishment at the hands of the Egyptians. And he claimed them, the Israelites, to be his own people. This hope was fulfilled when God sent his only begotten son to free us from the influences of Satan and his evilness and to save us from everlasting death and thus to establish a new and everlasting covenant in his blood. This is all scripture and this is all also part of what the church teaches that we need to start talking about more. Hmm? My friends, we look and what God has done, not only uh, what we have maybe hoped for, but he has done so much more. And I've tried to share that with you in a very comical way, but very truthful way about walking through walls. I know last night people were like, oh gosh, Father's... Whew. Father has some crazy ideas, and I'm like, <laughs> the crazy ideas, they're in the scriptures. We just don't talk about it, and we need to. In Advent, through prayerful contemplation of all that God has done in the past, we receive great reason then for hope. And moreover, we receive the grace to nourish and sustain that hope so that we may extend it to others. Others need hope. This world needs that message of hope. We need to be the ones delivering it to them. If we do this, many things will grow and be beautiful and Hope will stand shoulder to shoulder with love and with faith then. In another way, the chief function of the season of Advent then is then to prepare us for Christmas. And that preparation is framed in the virtue of hope. However, to understand Christmas, we start by looking at the beginning of the history of salvation. And that is what Isaiah will help us with during the Advent season as we read from the book of Isaiah. God's plan of salvation is centered on Christ and is realized through him and him alone. Advent looks back at the promise of his first coming as announced by an angel to a very young lady named Mary. And then we, with great foundation and with hope, look forward to the future, to his second coming in his glorified state, when God's plan will then reach its full and complete fulfillment. Now, my friends, uh, St. Paul, it was really funny, he, 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 in his reading he said, uh, 
he talks about that urgency, and we should understand this. And don't be uh, filled with anxiety in this. Be filled with joy. So what we'll, here's one of the things, uh, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to compete with the child. Oh, baby. <laughs> That's new life in the church when you hear babies crying, so don't be cranky about it. <laughs> so my friends, what do we do uh, to help out uh, with um, our actions? St. Paul said, stop the foolishness and start doing other things. So perhaps the most practical way for us to understand this is to do something more. Come to Mass more often. If you can't come to daily Mass because it's in the morning, on Thursday night we'll have Mass at 6 p.m. during the Advent season to help out those. Perhaps you could be more charitable in your words and your deeds at home and at work, in the parking lot, not only here but in the parking lot of Costco. Don't say evil and wicked things because they took your parking spot. This is all part of walking in light. Maybe you'll visit someone who is ill. Maybe you'll visit someone, an elderly person, who's alone. This is part of holiness. This is part of light, as St. Paul will be referred to. We've got to start helping the poor that is right across the bridge from us. There are poor everywhere, but there are poor in Tacoma who cannot pay their bills and cannot eat. We need to start caring for them as well as those who are in other parts of the world. We need to start looking here closer. My friends, uh, these are parts of walking in light. Does that sound reasonable? Jesus didn't ask for the unreasonable. Now, my friends, uh, Jesus also in that, our gospel, he said, it will be like the days of Noah. In those days, they were doing this and this and this and that. So I looked at it and I thought, okay, what does that mean for us? Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back and it's going to be an ordinary day when I do. So you'll be stuck in traffic on I-5. <laughs> You will be getting married in a church, maybe. Um, maybe you'll be having lunch. Maybe you'll be at work, working. What he said was, you do not know the time or day that I'm coming. And what he described was just an ordinary day. So you need to be ready and prepared for that. And hopefully I've given you the remedy for what that is so you don't do that in fear or in hopelessness, but with joy and expectation. Just be doing all those good things. And when Jesus shows up knocking on the door, you're going to open the door and say, I've been waiting for you. Instead of, could you come back tomorrow? I'm not ready. <laughs> That's not going to work, is it? Now, my friends, we're about to profess the creed. Take note at the very last line of the creed where it says that you believe in the resurrected body. And I've just told you what that resurrected body looks like. So either you believe it or you don't. If you don't, you shouldn't be saying the creed because that makes you a liar, right? Right? That's my one little piece of fire and brimstone for you today. Outside of that, know of my love for you. And as we begin this new year of Advent, I wish you in this Advent season peace and joy and laughter. Amen?